And so Romans chapter 6, we learned last week as we started Romans 6 that Paul is moving into a new, uh, a new angle of this diamond of the gospel that's been turning for us here of not just the gospel that saves, not just the gospel that forgives us of sin, though it does those things, but the gospel that actually brings about new life, a completely different life in a follower of Christ. And we've seen how the gospel justifies, it, it, it forgives us of our sin and secures us for all eternity. And what we talked about last week is that security that we have in Jesus Christ that can never be taken away. That security is not one that leads to a rebellion and leads to uh, sinning all that we want all the more. No, the truth is what Paul told us in Romans 6, 1 through 5, is that when you have put your faith in Jesus, that you are, you are burying yourself into the death of Jesus Christ and you are burying yourself into the resurrection of Christ. You can't have one without the other. That a true follower of Christ is, is baptized into the death and the life of Jesus Christ. We should see forgiveness and we should see transformation in the life of a true believer, though progressively over time. And the question now that we head into this week is what does that actually look like? Where does this power come from? What does yielding to that power look like that brings about a true transformation from death to life in an individual? And that is this piece of passage we're gonna look at here from verse six all the way into uh, verse 14. And really what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna talk about three main things that are involved in this process of a believer. Three things that we must uh, embody in order to see this transformation come about. There is something we need to know, there's something we need to consider, and there is something that we need to present unto God. And in fact, if you wanna circle those words in verse six, you can circle the word know. In verse 11, you can circle the word consider. And in verse 13, you can circle the word present. That's your outline. That's the message here. Know, consider, present. Let's look at these. What is it we need to know as followers of Christ that will ultimately lead towards the newness of life that we receive through Jesus? Paul tells us here in verses 6 through 10, what we need to know is a truth about what God has accomplished for us on the cross which is essentially a detailed recap of what we covered last week. So I'll move through this quickly, but verses six through 10, Paul says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, then we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, the first thing I want you to see here is I want you to notice what Paul calls our old way of living, who we were prior to faith in Jesus Christ. There in verse six, he calls us our old self, our body of corruption. What does he say happened to our old self? What has happened to our body of corruption? Paul says it's been done away with. Why was it done away with? So that 
you and I on this side of the cross would no longer be slaves to sin. Now, I want you to notice here, he didn't say that our body, our old self has been done away with so that we would no longer sin. Be real careful right here. When Paul talks about being dead to sin, as we talked about last week, that doesn't mean that sin has been eradicated. And this is very, very significant for us. The absence of Romans 6. If Romans 6 didn't exist in your Bible, you went from chapter 5 right on into 7, you would think, you would think um, that we might as well just grab our hell insurance, be secured for all eternity, and then we could just keep living however we want. We can just sin all the more because his grace will abound for us. That's not what Romans 6 is teaching. So the absence of Romans 6 will lead to what's called antinomianism. Nomos means law, anti-law, being against the law, being rebels. But the misinterpretation of Romans 6 will lead to not antinomianism, but perfectionism. Perfectionism, this idea that, oh, I guess now that because I've come to Christ, I'll never sin again. Both of those are heresies. Both of those are not biblically true, at least not in this context right here. And so what we wanna do is clarify this. Paul says the new life that we have in Jesus Christ through his work on the cross doesn't mean that the presence of sin has been defeated, at least not yet, but rather it is the power of sin that has been defeated. In other words, sin's mastery over us has been dethroned. Our enslavement to a life of sin has been done away with. Paul is saying that prior to Jesus's work on the cross, sin was your master. Whatever sin told you to do, you had to do it. Sin was your king. It reigned over you, and whatever edicts it ordered, you had to fulfill. Sin was your sensei in this understanding. And this is important to know this, how sin works. Because let me use a modern-day example that's in secular psychology, much of our counseling. It's why as good as cognitive behavior therapy can be at rerouting your thought patterns in order to curb your behaviors, the one thing that CBT cannot do is dethrone idolatry from your heart. It cannot reroute your desires. The power of sin is greater than any cognitive effort that we have in ourselves that we could ever possibly muster up to try to defeat sin's power. You can't do it. I can tell you that prior to faith in Jesus Christ, I was enslaved in my sin. All of us have different sin bents. Mine was sexual immorality. I was enslaved in sexual immorality. I was enslaved with a lying tongue. I cheated all the time. I was enslaved with perverse language. Nothing edifying came out of my mouth. Constant sarcasm, constant making fun of things, constant foul mouth and perversion. And I was enslaved to this. And then when I was introduced to Jesus Christ, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Guess what? Those things didn't go away the next day. The struggle was still there. And what I learned the hard way is that I tried to defeat sin's power in this new reality that I had in Christ, but I tried to do it through my own flesh. 
And I mean, I had some amazing accountability. I had filters on my computer. I had people asking me hard questions. I had a lot of external influences. I even had roommates who loved the Lord and would keep honor shame calendars. Every time we messed up in a certain area, we put a certain dot on our calendar. It looked like a dadgum rainbow by the end of the month of all the sin patterns that were on there. And you know what none of them can do? As common graces as those things can be and helpful as they can be, they cannot change the inner desire. Only the power of Jesus Christ can do that. Sin when you are in sin, has mastery over you. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will make you stay longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. That's what sin does. Only the resurrection power of Jesus Christ has the ability to take what is dead in you and bring it to life and dethrone sin's mastery over us. Now, we're going to deal more next week in the specific issue of enslavement to sin and its mastery and the unhinging of that. But I want you to see what Paul's getting at here. Paul is saying, what is true of Christ is true of you. If you are indeed in Christ, because here's what being in Christ has accomplished for you. Number one, when you trust in Jesus, Paul's already told us in the first several chapters of Romans, that sin's penalty has been defeated. You are no longer under the penalty of sin, which is condemnation and death. Christ took that death for you. Christ absorbed the just penalty for you. And through faith in him, he's given you righteousness. His death on the cross has cleansed you of your sin, forgiven you of your sin, so that you can stand righteous before God. That's what Jesus' death has done on the cross. But it doesn't just end there, because even Paul is hinting at in this passage that because of Christ's resurrection, because he came out of that grave, because right now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, the truth is, is that one day what's true of Christ will be one day be true of us. Even after we die, there's a day coming, we will be raised again. We will be seated with Christ. And so therefore, what's true of Christ is true of us. And in that day, not just the penalty of sin, but in that day, the very presence of sin will be defeated eradicated once and for all because Christ has guaranteed that for us. But what Paul is dealing with right here is what about right now? If the cross has forgiven the penalty and one day will remove the presence, but that presence of sin is still with us today, entangling us, what hope of the gospel is there for us? And Paul says, I'm glad you asked. It is because of Christ's conquering victory over the grave and his new life that he has actually defeated sin's power. The past penalty has been dealt with. The future presence will one day be dealt with. But right now, the joy that you have in the cross is that sin's power has been defeated as well because Christ is our new master. He is our new king. Sin no longer has authority over us. Paul says you need to know that. You need, you, need to, you need to not be ignorant in your thinking that as a Christian, that your whole life, because you've come to Christ, your whole life has to be constitutionally the same as it once was before. No, there is actually a real power that has been applied to your life that can help you defeat sin's mastery over you so that you can truly be a new creation. Since Christ has been raised, his victorious power has been unlocked for us. Now he doesn't say it here, but he's gonna deal with it in Romans chapter eight. The key agent of that power is the Holy Spirit. 
When you put your trust in the resurrected Christ, you are indwelt with a third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself, who abides in us. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to live within us to free us from sin shackles and help us in overcoming sin's temptation with a new heart and new desires and a new power that we've been given in this new life. The Spirit is who's going to do that. Now, I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but I just want you to hear these words from Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Listen to how Paul will phrase this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you hear what Paul just said there? Paul said, what's true of Jesus is true of you. Think about the power that it took to raise Jesus's body from the grave. A body that has died, that has been in a grave for three days, beginning to decay. And then three days later, a power source raises that dead body back to life, brand new. Paul says the Holy Spirit is who did that. And the same spirit, the same power that brought Jesus's dead body back to life, Paul says, is the same spirit. It's the same power that dwells within you as a follower of Jesus Christ. You have that power available to you. Now, again, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll deal with the Holy Spirit's role in this in Romans chapter 8. But The first thing that Paul wants us to see right here that must happen in your transformation process, if you want to walk in the newness of life, conform to the image of Jesus, is that you need to know, you need to have a knowledge and an awareness about this power that is available to you through the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ. But at the same time, you and I well know that just a knowledge alone about that power cannot transform a human life. I can know a lot of things about uh, stuff. I can know a lot. I've said it before. I know a lot about Abraham Lincoln, but that doesn't mean that I'm trusting in Abraham to change my life today. You have to have more than just a knowledge about this power through the gospel. There has to be a yielding to it. And that is exactly what we see in verse 11 in the second part about considering this work. Paul says in verse 11, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now that word consider, it's translated in the old King James Version as reckon. You need to reckon yourself as dead and alive to Christ. It's a Greek word that means to credit, to count, to calculate. It's a mathematical term that is meant to elicit faith so that you're trusting in something that can actually bring about that power in your life. It means you and I are gonna have to take this knowledge about the cross and what Jesus has done and the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit and we're gonna have to do the math and we're gonna have to add it up by faith and put our trust in it in order for that power to be applied in our life and bring about transformation. Now, what does it mean to reckon yourself as dead and alive to Christ? Paul said it this way. We looked at this verse last week, but I'll put it up again. Galatians 2.20. Listen to these words. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now stop right there for just a moment. Really, Paul? Oh, you were crucified with Christ? Were you there on the cross with Jesus? I don't remember Paul in that story. Were were you crucified with Christ on that day at Calvary? 
And Paul says, even though I wasn't physically there, you bet I was there. You know why? Because Jesus said I was there. I have reckoned myself as dead in Christ's death and alive to him. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And now it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. I have faith. I've put my trust in that. And that has deposited that into my account. Not only righteousness, but a power through the abiding of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, this life that all of us live in these earthly tents right now, in the here and now, Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul considered his old way of living as good as dead because it was in Christ. And his new way of living is one by faith in the resurrection of Christ that brings new life. He said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Behold, I am a new creation. The old has gone, and now the new has come. Is that a fact? Paul says that is a fact. Church, understand right now, God sees you. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you placed your trust in him, God sees you as a new creation. He does not see you as the old. Christ sees you as right. God sees you as righteousness now through the work of Christ. Because when God looks down upon us, he sees the finished work of Christ accomplished for us in our place on our behalf. And the power that God has made available to us through the resurrected Christ isn't just theoretical. It's not just ethereal. It's actual. Don't view the power to transform you into a new creation as just something that's out there and some people get it. No, no, that that power is not over there. That power is in here, indwelling in every believer because Christ has accomplished it for us. We must yield ourselves to it. We must reckon ourselves to it. Now, what exactly does that mean? Verse 12, Paul is going to paint for us an incredible visual picture of what he's talking about here. Look at this in verse 12. Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now, First of all, I want you to notice, this is the first command in this entire text. Everything that we have covered so far is a fact. It's what God does, period. There is no plan B. But there is a role in it. We're not to lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. There is a work that is done here we are to yield ourselves to. When he says, do not let sin reign. Now, when you think of the word reign, what do you tend to associate with the word reign? We tend to think of kings, don't we? Kings are the ones who reign. And uh, I want you to look at the end of verse five, end of chapter five. Look at the very end of chapter five, right before this section. Look at the last verse in verse 21. I want you to see this play on reigning that Paul talks about that we kind of skipped over when we were there. Paul says, just as sin reigned in death, now might grace reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul is about to tell us a tale here 
of two kings, a tale of two kingdoms, two different types of reigns that we experience, one before Christ, one after Christ. Now, I want this to be a visual picture here. I'm going to try my best to kind of do this. I need to code. There we are. 4739, dial in, baby. I want to show you a picture of what these two reigns look like. Here's what we're talking about, what Paul is getting at. Paul is showing us the life that we had before we put faith in Jesus Christ. There was a state of residency that you were a citizen in. We'll call it over here sin country, okay? This is where every human being apart from Jesus Christ finds their citizenship. And within sin country, there is a king who rules and reigns over sin country. We'll call him King Sin. You and I were citizens in sin country. We were citizens. And in fact, Paul is going to use that imagery later on. We'll see it next week that we were slaves to King Sin. King sin reigned. He had dominion over your life. Whatever sin, whatever edicts that sin put out, that king sin put out, you as a citizen of sin country had to obey those edicts. Sin made a decree for you. You had to do it. You were enslaved to the dominion of sin that reigned over your life. And the end result is as you obeyed sin's edicts, day by day, month by month, year by year, all that led to was alienation from God and it led to a path of destruction and ultimately caused your own death. That's what King Sin ultimately demanded. And that was where we lived. But then somebody, and I don't know who, maybe today's the first day you're hearing it, maybe somebody else in your life at some point came along and brought you what's called a gospel, some good news. The good news is that there is actually another land that exists out there, a land that is beautiful. We'll call it Graceland. And in Graceland, there's another king, isn't there? Except it ain't Elvis. We'll call this one King Grace. And King Grace also rules over a land. But his edicts are beautiful. And his citizens that live in this land, these citizens, they're also slaves, Paul's going to talk about, but they're slaves of a whole different kind. There's still a constraint. There is still an edict to obey, but it is not fueled by law. It is fueled by grace. It has not counted your trespasses against you, but has actually forgiven you and freed you to do what you were designed to do that would lead to the greatest glory of that King Grace and the greatest good and flourishing of its citizens. And these edicts issued by King Grace did not lead to death, but it led to eternal life with this king forever. And oh man, you heard that good news. And the truth is, is you want, who wouldn't want to go over there? You want to be a part of this land, but the problem is you could not. And the reason is, is because King Sin owned rights to you. You weren't allowed to be a citizen of this new land because you were a citizen enslaved to your former king. 
king sin, and you must obey his commands. But then God, in his amazing mercy, decided to do something about it. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to live the life that we couldn't live and ultimately to die the death that we deserved. He came to pay our ransom. Jesus took the death for you. And by trusting in him, Jesus now has the ability to bring us into this new citizenship where no longer is King Sin our master and, our, and has dominion over your life. You've been transferred now to a new kingdom to serve a new king. Paul's gonna use the term adoption in Romans 8 to talk about this process. I had the privilege of adopting two of my daughters. And I can tell you that process of adoption was both beautiful and still is messy. These two girls and the trauma that they suffered uh, as young children uh, was unspeakable. And it's not that we became their saviors. This, this doesn't bleed out in perfect illustration, but I will tell you there was a transfer of identity. There was a transfer of ownership. There was a transfer of new life. Now, there came with some, some hardships. There is still pieces of them every single day that remember that trauma, that are still affected by that trauma. But day by day, God is transforming their lives by his grace. And that same adoption that's taken place with us as children of God, Jesus has done that for us. And he has brought us from death to life. He has transferred kingdoms. Now here's what happens though. Because once you've placed your face in, in Jesus, you've been transferred on this other side to King Grace and to Graceland. But what happens is, King sin is still alive. What has died is his mastery over us. He doesn't have authority over us, but he's still alive. And you know what he does? King sin loves to give us a call just about every day. And King sin calls and goes, hey, you remember what life was like over here? Why don't you come back over? Come on over here and party with me. Now let's go get hammered. Let's go live for the old life, man. Let's, let's gratify the flesh, man. Come back over here. And you know what you have the freedom to do? You actually have the freedom, even in this new life, to go back and visit. You can go visit your former way of life from time to time. You can slip into it. You can struggle into that old life from time to time. But you know what you can never do? You can never go back and be a citizen there because that's not who you are. Your papers have changed. You are a slave to grace now, not sin. And when sin calls you, you don't have to pick up that phone anymore. You don't have to obey its edicts anymore. You don't have to fulfill its desires for you that lead to death anymore because you have been set free. Now, who helps you do this? The power of the Holy Spirit. How do you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit? You first have to know it, and then you have to yield yourself to it. And this will be a day-by-day-by-day day day transformation. It doesn't happen overnight. 
I can tell you the sin still calls me. Those old enslavements, they don't have power over me, but they still call me. I'm still tempted like I once was, but by God's grace, as I have followed Jesus for the last 25, 30 years of my life now, I have seen those old desires that once had power over me be put to death. And I've seen a desire for a holiness where once before my desire was for sin, where sins of my past taste bitter to me. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit to day by day conform you to the image of Christ so that by the time you die or Jesus returns, you'll look more like Jesus than you did when this thing started. That is what's called progressive sanctification, being set apart for God and his glory day by day, not through law, but through grace. So is that a helpful picture? That's what Paul's talking about right here. Graceland, baby, you ain't in sin country anymore. Now, once you understand that, once you understand, you know that reality, you've considered or reckoned all this power as true and yielded yourself to the grace of Jesus, now in verse 13, you are free as a citizen of Graceland to begin presenting your life as an offering to this new king. Now watch this in verse 13. Paul says, do not present your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness. Instead, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So instead of allowing sin to reign, it doesn't have that authority anymore. The cross has dethroned it. Instead of allowing sin to reign, what are you to do in its place now? Instead, present. The word present there is a Greek word, parastemi, which means to set forward, to make an offering. And so what's the offering, though, that we are bringing forward? Is it indulgence? Is it penance? What is it? Paul says it's your entire life your entire life, same language that Paul will use in Romans chapter 12, verse one, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves up, offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice now because you've been made new. And he says right here, in other words, you need to, you need to let the actions that proceed from you be in accordance with the reality of who you are in Christ now. And he says, offer your body as instruments. Instruments, by the way, the word instruments there, literally translated in Greek, means weapons. Same that would be used for military. Instruments. Your body is now an instrument. It's a weapon for God's kingdom. Your mind, how you think, your heart, your affections, they are weapons in God's arsenal for God's kingdom. Your sexuality your skills, your abilities, your social media is meant to be a weapon now for God's glory and the grace that has been poured out for you and is available for everyone else. Weapons given for you to glorify your new king, to serve the good of your fellow citizens and to advance the gospel of his kingdom. All of us have been giving, given these weapons to use now out of grace for his glory but unfortunately, so, so few Christians tap into them. I don't know. There's an old, old school movie that I don't know how many have seen. It's called Saved Private Ryan. Anybody seen that? Anybody not? 
Y'all have got, you're not going to be able to grow in your Christian faith if you cannot watch Saving Private Ryan. You need to go home and watch that tonight. There's a scene, though, at the end that always brings this passage to light for me. The American soldiers are trying to take this one town back from the Germans. They, they have an American sniper that's up in this tower, and the Germans are closing in. One particular German runs to the top and begins grabbing this soldier, pins him on the ground, has a knife that's about to shove into him and kill him. And meanwhile, there's another soldier who's heading up the stairwell to save him. He's got this giant, this giant machine gun, man, with just all kinds of rounds of ammo just hanging out of this thing. He's got everything he needs to go in there and stop it. And he's paralyzed by fear. And he just sits in the stairwell as his buddy's being choked out. And he's just frozen in fear with all this ammo. And he does nothing with it as his buddy has his life taken from him. And every time I see that, I, I think of this passage, present your instruments, present your weapons to God. Like you, you, he's been given us all of this. It's been redeemed. And yet we become the chosen frozen who just sit and play the victim card of, oh, I'll never change, man. This, this addiction, I've had it for all this time. And it'll, it'll never be defeated in my life. And oh, I'm just a product of my family tree and this generational sin that's over me. And we, whoa, 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 all the day long, we play the victim. We just sit there when God has given us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and he's put it inside of us for us to yield ourselves to. Now, that's not saying that Struggle with sin is not going to be a lifelong wrestle. See also Romans chapter 7. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. It is a wrestle. But by God's grace, he's given us this power that we might present our lives to him and experience the victory that he's given us. Church, do you understand what's here? We are to know the truth about what the cross has provided for us. We are to reckon ourselves to that truth and that power. And then out of the freedom that has been given, we're to present now our lives as an offering to God, not an offering to sin. Why is that? Because verse 14, and we'll close here, because the truth is, and use that imagery I put back up on the screen earlier, sin no longer has dominion over you. It's not your master anymore. It's not your king anymore. Why? Because you are no longer under law. If you are in Christ, you are under grace. The old is gone, the new has come. Now you go, okay, can we put some more skin on this? Let's start talking about specific struggles. Let's talk about that slavery, why I always want to do what I don't want to do. I'm glad you asked. You're going to have to wait till next week because that's what we're going to deal with at the end of Romans chapter 6, what it means for us to be now a slave to righteousness. But in the meantime, oh, might we rejoice that the gospel of Jesus Christ has not only saved us from the penalty of sin, it not only promises us one day we'll be freed from the very presence of sin and no longer entangled, but right now we have the truth that through Jesus Christ and his resurrection, he has defeated the power of sin so that we can walk in the newness of life that he's given us. And, and by God's grace, over time, look more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, let's celebrate this truth as we do each and every week. 
through the taking and the receiving of communion together. When you came in, you should have gotten one of these packets. And let me just say, you know, I, I, we wrote, we drew the thing up there so you can have a visual picture of what this transfer looks like, of what the gospel of Jesus looks like. But the truth is, Christ has instituted a symbolic meal that the church gets to take so that we can visually remind ourselves of that every week. And we do this through communion. If you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, then I would ask you to hold off on this meal because for you, this will be a symbolism that doesn't symbolize an internal reality. We would ask you instead to consider the person and work of Jesus Christ, that you might put your trust in him and receive the newness of life by his grace. And then as a member of Christ's church, his body, this meal takes on significant meaning. And so for us, this is a chance for us to rehearse the gospel, to remember what Christ's death has accomplished for us on the cross and what results now is the new life through his resurrection. Paul said these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to the church in Corinth. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so when we take this bread, we are remembering sin demanded death. And Jesus was God's provision for us, the only provision for us, who came and substituted his life for ours and took the death that we deserved, his body broken for us. Let's take this in remembrance of that truth. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. And I want you to do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so when we take this drink, we are drinking in memory of what it is that Christ's blood accomplished for us on the cross, that it cleansed us of our sin. It gave us Christ's righteousness so that we could stand free in the presence of God and be transformed forever. And so church, we drink of the covenant that is given to us in Christ's blood, forgiven us of our sins. And Paul said, as often as we eat this bread and we drink the cup, we are proclaiming, we are heralding the Lord's death. And so Father, we want to herald that death because we recognize there is no other hope outside of Jesus Christ. There is no other forgiveness that can be found Nothing, nobody that could ever take away the shame and the condemnation that we deserve, but Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we know he didn't stay dead. He came up out of that grave so that we who are in him can also experience new life. Help us to not live as if we are still under dominion of King sin. God, help us know the truth that we are under the dominion now of King grace, your grace in Jesus Christ. Help us to yield our lives to that, that we might be transformed. And God, help us to live lives out of that freedom, able to present our entire lives as an offering for you, for the glory of your name, for the good of your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.